Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, well, today we are going to be speaking on peace. Peace is the series that we are doing over the, uh, the, uh, the run-up to Christmas. And I think this certain, uh, when we think of peace, when uh, peace, we sort of visualize it. I don't know about you, I go for the sort of very stereotypical sort of pictures, uh, visions. And that's of the, your sort of your standard archetypal sandal-wearing California dude. Hey, man, what's up, man? Want some reefer, man? <laughs> Peace, man. But I'll be honest with you, I don't relate to that at all. That's, I, am, I am not like that. I am, I am what you would class as highly strung. Uh, and my, uh, I, I strung much like a fiddle, you would think. And uh, I have at home four little fiddlers who, uh, while at the dinner table, love to pluck my strings, and so I will play a tune for them. No, 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 no. Get to your bedroom now! Peace is uh, something that I, uh, it's, it's, I would love to exude. I envy those with that sort of carefree attitude to life, uh, not weighed down, not burdened. Uh, but the reality is that that kind of surfer dude... Uh, hippie-wearing, surfing, shade-wearing, long-haired sort of peace. That's not the peace that God talks about. That's actually a relatively selfish form of peace because, you know, when you find your center, you find yourself at your center, and really you're at peace to the exclusion of everybody else. You know, there's, there's not really any responsibilities. You can be carefree. You can afford to be uh, unburdened because you have no responsibilities, nothing that you sort of... Uh, have to sort of perform in life. And, and that's not really a kind of piece that works for anybody in this room here. That's not a piece. And some people just naturally are a bit more laid back, and that is awesome. But being laid back is not the full expression of peace that God intended for us. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to read to you today from our uh, sort of key passage, and we're going to go from Philippians 4, verse 6, and I think we'll only just do the first couple of verses. And that should be enough for us this morning. So, it says, be anxious for nothing. I'm sold. I'm sold. That, that, that works for me. Be anxious for nothing. All right, what do I have to do? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication, we all pretend we know what it means. What it means is asking for something earnestly and humbly. Okay? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And what that means, particularly that last bit, that that last bit of scripture I want to focus in on, what that means is it means that God's peace will safeguard our reason and our emotions from what you ask, from worry, how you ask, through Christ Jesus. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what you call a promise right there. It is a promise. It is a promise that we can be assured that all of the psychological functions that we draw upon to make 
choices every single day, they can be safeguarded, they can be protected by the peace of God. And, and you can think, well, does that not mean I'm being controlled? It is the absolute, complete opposite of being controlled. It is our worries, it is our fears, it is our anxieties that clamp down on our decision-making, that, that warp our decision-making. What the peace of God does is relieve us of all of that burden. To allow us to make decisions, to make choices that are free from fear. That are supported by his power and his love. A focus that comes upon him. And that is the promise of God. And so, so profound is the ambience of peace. That the Hebrew word that they use for when they welcome people or they bid farewell to people is shalom. uh, A word that probably many of us are familiar with. But it roughly translates as peace. When you meet someone, you say peace. When you say goodbye to someone, you say peace. And, and actually, that's only a rough translation. It's, it's actually a much more nuanced word, and it has meanings such as harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. And these are not things that are just in isolation. I don't know if anyone remembers the uh, old uh, whiskey advert of, of the guy sitting up on this hillside, drinking his drink, and he just go. Tranquility. <laughs> That's tranquility in isolation. That's tranquility all on your own. Tranquility. Uh, <laughs> James Bond. Uh, <laughs> but we're talking, about a tra- we're talking about a peace in the context of relationship. It's, it's a peace within relationship, uh, within sort of the, the, the people that you meet, that you would, the, the welcome and the farewell that, 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 is cult- that, that they culturally draw upon here is, is wishing the highest good to those that they are in relationship with. And culturally expressing peace at the beginning and the end of any kind of decourse is a powerful, it's a powerful declaration in reaffirming the security of your relationship. And a secure relationship is a relationship that can develop. It is a relationship that can blossom. Because it's a relationship where truths can be exchanged, where challenges can be received, where affections can be reciprocated, where values can be shared. It's a transfer. That's what a secure relationship is. Not a, not a, skin, uh, a surface conver- uh, relationship, not a superficial relationship, but a secure relationship. And that is what, what, what by declaring peace over every sort of interaction that you would have, it sort of reaffirms Peace is upon this relationship. And God, God has prepared the, that framework for secure relationship with us. But to maintain a culture of peace, we must appreciate its functions. A car is a mechanism for trans, uh, traveling long distances upon land. But it's, it's not enough just to sit in a car to sort of receive its benefits, to enjoy its benefits. You, you have to know how to replenish its source of fuel and you need to be able to adhere to the principles that make it operate. And it's the same with peace. It's the same with that relationship with God. We have to understand what this is a mechanism. This is a promise. This is something that has a, a requirement upon me. What are those things? How do I understand it? And that's what I would like to unpack for us today. So we will start... In Galatians 5.22, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It just says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not an attribute of human nature. 
It's not something that we produce. We don't actually, we don't grow peace within ourselves. And in actual fact, our own nature is in conflict with it. It says in, in uh, actually earlier on in that, uh, in, that, uh, in that chapter, in verse 17, it says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Have you ever... Uh, have you ever sort of walked into a room where they were just like little children just playing just, and, and with no sort of adult supervision? I, I do this quite often, having four children. And uh, it is just lawless carnage. I mean, you just walk in there and there's like children hanging from... Well, we don't have a chandelier, but I, I like to think that our light shade is a bit like a chandelier. And, and just being wrecking the place. The, the other day... Uh, we sent my, ironically, we sent my uh, youngest son to go and sit on the naughty step for some sort of uh, indiscretion. And I went to go and sort of uh, sort him out afterwards. And he wasn't there. And I, I followed him up the stairs. And he was in the bathroom. He had taken all of the mats and put them into the bath. He'd taken an entire toilet roll and emptied it over those mats. He'd then taken all of the shampoo bottles and toys, put them on top of it. And then he was standing at the sink with the plug-in having the water going. I, I have no idea what was next on the schedule. I am glad I walked in when I did. Just lawless carnage. Uh, just while I was ironing my shirt this morning, uh, I hear this squabble in the other room between my two oldest, Nathan and Lily. And I walk through, and they're having an argument about something. And I was like, what's, what's up, what's up? And Lily spoke first, because Lily likes to speak first. And uh, she, said, she said, Nathan's telling me that I'm spelling a word wrong. I said, well, what word is it? She said, roof. I said, okay, how do you spell it? And she went, r o o f I'm like, that's great, Lily, that's perfect. Nathan, say sorry to your sister. You know that she was spelling it right. And Nathan rolls his eyes at me and goes, Daddy, she's not spelling roof as in the ceiling. She's spelling roof as in uh, Naya and Josh's mum passed a roof. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what she was documenting, but, uh, <laughs> but you know these are the sort of you know nonsensical arguments that you walk into that make no sense whatsoever. And and you know what? I think sort of the recesses of our minds kind of be a bit like kids sort of interacting. You know that that reacting, that that uh, venting, that sort of retaliation, that, that that first that first sort of response in your head when when something sort of snaps at you. It's like what what what's your first thought? Retaliate, action stations. And uh, peace, has to be, peace has to be cultivated. Peace is not wild growing. Peace is not wild growing. It has to be cultivated. And to the exclusion of all sort of natural response, uh, responses. If you think of like a, a garden, if you're growing peace, you can't have weeds. Weeds will choke the flower, will choke the crop. And, and peace is something, a fruit that you grow in, and, and, and you cannot grow weeds at the same time. You have to eradicate, you have to exclude the weeds altogether. And so what does nature sort of cast that is contrary to peace? What is it that, that we're kind of battling against when, when, we, when we're, we're seeking peace? Well, did anyone see the greatest bit of television in the last sort of 20 years on two weeks ago? Planet Earth 2. Did anyone see Planet Earth 2 like two weeks ago? Planet Earth 2, man alive. It was, they made a second one because this other planet's much better than ours. But uh, <laughs> this Planet Earth 2, you've got to watch the first episode. There's this, there's this scene in it. And I watched it. Me and the kids just sat down one evening. We put it on BBC iPlayer and we started watching it. And we had no idea what we were in store for. <laughs> and uh, there were these little sort of black marine iguanas. The only iguana that 
swims underwater. And my Nathan, my Nathan, <laughs> my son, gets sort of in a bit of a loop when he's excited about things. He's going, that's a marine iguana, Dad. That's a marine iguana. That's a marine iguana, Dad. That's a marine iguana. I'm like, I know it's a marine iguana, son. It's a marine iguana. It can swim. I know I'm watching the same program as you. <laughs> and, but, and, and they would have these, uh, the, 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 the one that lays the eggs would go and onto this sort of rocky, sort of stony shawl, and it would lay its eggs, and it would get lost. And these things would be born, and they would stick their head out of the stones and you know, look upon life. And they would crawl out. And as they crawled out, you just saw, and there was no sort of setup for this, so you just got it sort of completely uh, cold. You just see these snakes just start sort of going towards it. And these are like really long ones, the ones that sort of stick up like that. And they start coming, and they're, you're just like, oh my goodness. And, and there's not just like one of them, it's like a gang of snakes. A gang. Snakes are like the worst villain in all of nature. Just think about this. These are snakes. Not only are they the reason that we're even in this sort of human condition in the first place. But think of it like this. These are snakes ganging up on baby iguanas. Bands of snakes. Come on, let's get the baby iguanas. Let's strangle them and eat them. Goodness me. Anyway, so these iguanas get up and, and they, they start sort of in the way out, and they make a run for it, and they can outrun the snakes, but then they'll run towards the rocks, the rocks give them safety, but then more snakes will come out from the rocks and just, you know, ambush them, and we're watching this, me and the kids, I'm like, whoa, this is intense, this is like the scariest thing we've ever seen, I mean, my mum is terrified of snakes, and so she has inserted within me a fairly worrisome attitude towards snakes as well, and uh, so we're watching this, heart racing, and one of these snakes, and I'll be honest with you, if any of you watched it, I reckon that they probably went through... T- uh, the, the clips that they used, it was the most wonderfully choreographed piece of television. I bet you they went through ten iguanas before, to get all those. That's not like one iguana that got away from it, because it was too dramatic. Uh, <laughs> There's like ten of them. Like, oh, well, okay, at least one of them made it to the rocks. Uh, but these, these, this iguana gets up, and, and it makes a run for it, and then it darts left to get away from the snakes, darts right. It stops still because the snakes can't see when nothing's moving. And it waits. It's got the poise. That guy's a champion. And then it runs again. It runs again. And then it gets caught. And it gets caught by the leg. And the snake starts sort of weaving its way around. And you're like, this thing's gone for. And we're like, come on. Come on. You've got to do it. And it wriggles itself free. And it starts hopping up these rocks. Starts hopping up them. And it's got no margin for error whatsoever. And it starts going for it. Going for it. And the snakes are coming behind it. It is amazing. And it just makes this final jump. It's like... It's like that hero jump, like Die Hard, like, ah! And it makes it. A Hail Mary. And we're up, by this point, me and the kids are like an inch from the television. I mean, Ben's always an inch from the television. I think he likes to see immersive experience. But like, we're like an inch from it going, come on, I've got Alice in my arm, and she, I don't think she knows what's going on, but she's excited. She's like, ah, bah, bah, bah. It was amazing. We like collapsed afterwards. It was intense. Got to watch it. I've kind of ruined a few, but hey, it's been up for two weeks. Come on, guys. <laughs> but the thing that kind of puzzled me a little bit was uh, this was a baby iguana. And, you know, it, it was coming out of an egg. It wasn't like it was coming out of a nest or anything. I hadn't had any sort of uh, training on how to evade snakes. It hadn't even been told that snakes were something you wanted to evade. If it was like one of our babies. would be like, oh, wow, look at that long thing. <laughs> But, but this thing knew, it knew instantly, knew what to do, because it was something totally instinctual. It was something programmed within it, and, and it was this thing of, I think within nature, there's just this sense of strife. 
That's the sort of word, strife and turmoil. Strife and turmoil kind of reign. It's the whole sort of, you know, animal, animals sort of taking on other animals. It's like there's constantly sort of, we, we don't really live with it in that sense because we're kind of top of the food chain. But every other one sort of has this sort of sense of, I'm battling. I'm sort of, I'm, I'm trying to sort of create for myself. I'm trying to battle through life. And there's, there's this turmoil and there's this strife. And that programs, and I think the same within us in different ways, but it programs that sense of strife and anxiety and anger. I know for myself, I am particularly susceptible to impatience. I get really anxious. I really get like, when, when my, my, I find my peace just evaporates when, when I feel time is sort of ticking away. I, I don't know about you, uh, this whole Brexit thing, I'm kind of wondering what on earth is going on with it. If I can just be I'm going to just be frank with you for a minute. Oh, I'm frank. Uh, <laughs> but the, fr- the, the Brexit thing, I, I, never, I was never really particularly ecstatic about it in the first place. But it just seems to be kind of dragging on forever. And I'm sort of sitting there going, well, look, I don't even want to really go there. But what are we hanging around for? Come on, come on. It's like when my wife, Laura, she says, right, right, this Saturday we're going to go and visit some cousin of hours that we barely know and we're not even sure if we like. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'm like, I can think of a thousand things I'd rather do on a Saturday, but you have these obligations, you've got to do it. And so, uh, but it gets to 10.30, and Laura's still not ready yet, and, which, you know, is very unusual. And uh, <laughs> she's not here, it's okay. <laughs> but, uh, and I don't even want to go there, but I'm like, come on, come on, we've got to go, 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 quick, 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 got to get out, got to get out, got to get out, get out. And I'll tell you something, that doesn't work. If, if anybody, if you, if any of you are prospective husbands, uh, going like that and trying to drill your wife to go out, then, then it doesn't, that doesn't actually ever work. In fact, it just flares tempers. It's never a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, we all have that sort of familiar, I think we all have something that, that sets us off, that sort of familiar thing. Uh, some of it's when we're in our cars. Uh, we're in that sort of little sanctuary of rage and <laughs> agitation and and you know you've got uh, you've got your horn and you're just ready to, you're on the trigger I, I actually hate using the horn I once let a person almost run into me in a car park because I, I felt it would be rude to, uh, to, to honk the horn at them I didn't want to, I didn't want them to think that I thought they were stupid and like they were like almost about to whack into me I think Laura reached to me and said don't be so soft uh, <laughs> some of you love your stupid button don't you Stupid! Stupid! Why are you so stupid? <laughs> Notes are all the way over here. <laughs> it sets us off, you know, this stuff that just... We are, we are conditioned that when, when conditions sort of sufficiently heighten, that sort of barbarian emerges, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody know that kind of feeling? That little barbarian, that little child that just vents, that retaliates. Strife is... Strife is like those unsettled waters, crashing waves, raging torrents, something totally unsettled, something totally sort of temperamental. Peace is the calm, it's the peaceful, it's the placid, still waters. There's something so beautiful of looking out over sort of a lake, or a loch, uh, almost said a lake, a loch, uh, a loch or, a, or, or a seafront or an estuary, and just seeing that peace, it's like glass, it's just beautiful, you see the sun reflecting on it, It, there's something so peaceful, there's something so moving about that and I'm going to dip into the Bible here because there's an example here that 
uh, from Jesus' life. It's actually an account that's captured in three of the four uh, gospel. So you know it must be pretty important. Uh, it's captured in Matthew eight twenty three to 27 and Mark 4, 35 to 41. But I'm going to choose the Luke version. Uh, but I'm going to augment my Luke version with some of the other bits of those ones. So it's in Luke eight twenty two to 25. And it says, Now it happened on a certain day that Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake. In Matthew, it actually says, a great tempest arose. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. In Matthew, it actually says, the boat was covered with waves. And in Mark, it says, the waves beat into the boat. And they came to Jesus and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Mark actually says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the waters. In Mark it actually says, he said to the sea, peace, be still. And they ceased and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And interestingly in Matthew it says, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And in Mark it says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. I I think this is one of those accounts that when maybe we, when we read over it, just sort of, you know, just kind of like read over it, it's one of those ones where we sort of reflect as to, could Jesus really have chosen any more inadequate people to be his, (laughs) to be his disciples? You you look at it, it's like the greatest miracle might have been that, uh, that they all turned out halfway decent. (laughs) Or most of them did. Uh, but no, they're just, they're just ordinary guys. They were just ordinary guys who were preconditioned to see life in a particular way. They, they all viewed life much like we do. If you think of like a, a telescope, we look at it often the wrong way around. And you ever see everything small, everything reduced, and everything diminished, everything a little bit far out of reach. It's kind of how, you know, before that perspective of God comes upon us, we just, everything seems a little out of reach. Everything seems just a little impossible, a little far off, a little small. We seem small. And they were simple, simple, natural men who were on a supernatural adventure. And when you're on a supernatural adventure, stuff gets weird from time to time. (laughs) See, more than anything, they, they represent a sample of pretty much how any of us would react in that situation. Uh, the real miracle is probably that it was only one of them that ended up betraying him. I wonder in the sort of the self-obsessed society today, how many would rebel today? You know, it, it's, it's an interesting thought. Maybe these guys were a bit more than we give them credit for. But when you think about it, they actually had really good reason to be scared. Uh, they were fishermen. And in fishing, fishing communities, uh, like up in sort of Peterhead and, uh, and Fraser, where there's a really strong sense of fishing, there's there's a sense of loss that goes along with it. There's, there's a sense where everybody has lost someone. Everybody has lost someone to those storms. Everyone's lost somebody overboard. Everyone's lost a, a member of their family. I've, 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 only ever, I've been out on the sea on, on, on big construction vessels, like really powerful state-of-the-art ones. And when you're out there in a storm, it is humbling. You stand there up on the bridge and it just shakes one way or the other. And you look and it is majestic, but it's kind of terrifying. You think, goodness me. I often think, if I was out there on like a little fishing boat made 2,000 years ago, goodness me, that would be terrifying. Uh, 
And we also sort of, I think we also kind of put down the disciples from the sense that we kind of already know the outcome. Like even anybody who doesn't come to church still knows Jesus died on a cross. He didn't, didn't drown in a lake or anything like that. So I think we probably give them short shift. If you come with me, just use your imagination for a second. But if you are going on, say, Pastor Shell's probably like, the kind of most righteous person that most of us know, right, okay? I mean, you know, she's, she's almost deity, okay? And uh, say that you got the opportunity to go on a, a flight with her and her disciples, Joe, Heidi, Boaz, Kevin, the disciples, and you got to tag along, and you sat on that plane, it took off, and, and before long, Pastor Shell's snoring away and just sleeping, and, uh, and before you know it, the, the, uh, the turbulence hits. Now, anyone who's been on a plane has experienced like a little bit of tur- turbulence. And it's that turbulence that's like the really kind of like, whew, it, it gives you a little bit of a sense of your own mortality, doesn't it? <laughs> it's quite exciting uh, because I believe in an afterlife. But it's probably if you don't, it's, <laughs> it's probably like a bit like, oh my goodness, I'm going to make it. By the way, just a total tip for you guys, right? At those moments, that's the moment where you look at the passengers next to you them deep in the eye, take their hand in yours and say, have you ever said the prayer of salvation? <laughs> Guarantee that's going to work 50% of the time, right? The disciples, the disciples weren't, they weren't waking Jesus to perform a miracle. They were like, come on, Jesus, come on, you get rid of this waves. And they say afterwards, they were dumbstruck by it. They couldn't believe it. I mean, if, if you were on that plane with Pastor Cheryl, would you be waking her up saying, hey, Pastor Cheryl, it looks like we're going to fall out the sky. Do you think you could probably just fix it for us? <laughs> would you even think to do that? They woke up Jesus because they're like, you're going to have to about to swim. We're about to swim here. They weren't like, oh, you can control the wind. They were dumbstruck. And, and we take it a bit for granted. But could you imagine being in one of those circumstances and the person you're with just standing up and saying, yeah, get lost. Get lost, waves. Come on, be still. Be still. And it just happening. That is incredible. And so they were in potentially fatal circumstances. And, and, and the fact that they were panicked from a sort of natural perspective, they weren't really over, overreacting. It's that the waves were beating into the boat. This wasn't a steel boat. This was like a wooden rickety thing, probably. So the thing about, the reason I've picked this out is because what kind of, what sort of twisted my brain a little bit, what I couldn't quite understand was the rebuke that Jesus gives them. That Jesus gives them a pretty stern rebuke. And I felt like reading it. I'm like, I can kind of, when, I, when I think about it, I can kind of sympathize with the disciples. I'm not surprised they were terrified. But here's where a little bit of the using an English translation kind of messes with the, uh, the meaning of it. Because we read it as being you of little faith. But in actual fact, when you look at the original Greek that it was said, uh, I've got it written out uh, in a way that I can actually read it. It says, Oligiopoetis. I could have said anything and you would have just bought it. But that's what it says, or something that sounds vaguely like that. And it has two definitions of what it means. And what it means is disinclined to believe and lacking confidence. So what he was saying, he wasn't, criticizing the size or portion of their faith. He wasn't saying your faith, is, your faith isn't big enough to cope with this situation. It actually says in the Bible that faith is small as a mustard seed. Yeah. You know, you can do the impossible with. 
I think that verse is telling you that there isn't like, we all get a measure, we all get a portion, but you don't then choose to have the half cup full or the half cup empty. You know, it's, that's your portion. You have it or you don't have it. You either believe it or you're disinclined to believe it. You have confidence in it or you lack confidence in it. See, lack confidence isn't something, there isn't levels of confidence. You either have confidence or you lack confidence. If you lack confidence, you don't have a little bit of confidence. You have no confidence. You either believe in something or you don't believe in something. And that, what they were saying was at that moment, at that time, at that moment of peril, you chose to, dis, to disincline to believe. You chose to lack belief. And, and the question was, why in that moment of jeopardy did they do it? And don't be fooled, don't be fooled, brother and sister, don't be fooled that when you come to Jesus, that does not exclude the possibility that you have no faith, that you're disinclined to believe. The disciples came, they told Jesus, but their fear betrayed their faith. I, the other day, I, uh, I had to go to the doctors, I had to take Lily, to, uh, not Lily, Alice to the doctors, and I was, it was in there for ages, and by the time I got out, Actually, even as I was going in, I knew that my car was up for its parking. But I went in anyway, and I was like, God, please just protect my car. Make sure I don't get a ticket. I don't want to get a ticket. Uh, please, God, you can understand, right? I didn't really mean to do that. I could have put an hour in, but I just put half an hour in. And uh, as I came out, I'm like holding Alice. I'm almost running to the car, and I'm like, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God. I was praying to God, but the reality was this. I was kind of lacking confidence. I, I was coming to God. I was praying to God. I was saying words to God but they weren't words of faith so if they weren't words of faith what were they they were words of anxiety words of strife words of turmoil I I I was asking they were doing but it was like on a wing in a prayer please God please just make sure that my car doesn't get towed it says in Hebrews 11 verse 6 but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What's the mechanism by which God rewards the faithful? Promises. Who are the faithful? Those who diligently seek him. Yeah. Diligently seeking him means constantly seeking him. It means continual seeking of him. Not a one-time deal. During instances of turmoil, who do we seek? The diligent continue to seek after him. I'm going to go back to what I started off with in Philippians 4 verse 7. The promise. The peace of God. I'm going to kind of paraphrase this slightly. But the the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Revelation of peace comes through Jesus Christ. And how does it come? It comes from his word and it comes from his presence. It comes from being close. The the peace of God, that revelation in every single moment. Not just a general revelation. Not a revelation that you're like, oh, well, I'll get up each day and I'll try and be peaceful. But but a revelation that is specific to every single thing, every single act of strife and turmoil that we come upon. That peace only comes through diligently seeking him. Through hearing his word whether it be the written word or the inspired word, and just having a, a sense of his presence around us. I, uh, this will be my last uh, example where I use my kids. <laughs> but, uh, at our home, uh, my, uh, my kids have just, you know, 
kids are kids, and they always have needs. Now, some of their needs, I'll be honest with you, I mean, I feel like they could probably figure it out themselves, but, uh, but they want us to figure it out for them. And the reality is that most of the time in our house, uh, they go and say, Mummy, 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 can you please help me with this? And more, so often, it's ridiculous, I'll be like sitting next to them. <laughs> like, Mummy, 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 and Laura will come running down the stairs, and she'll be like, what is it? And she'll oh, can you pass the salt? <laughs> Dad's sitting right there. Oh, sorry, never thought Dad's dad. <laughs> They're just, they're, they're programmed, they're used to just coming and, and just asking mum, seeking of mum. But what I find is this, if I'm ever uh, on holiday with them or, uh, you know, just uh, with them for like a more of an extended period of time, because I, I work, I, I go out, I'm, it's, it's just simple mathematics. They're, they're around my wife a lot more than they are for me. They're, they're used to my wife sort of providing for their needs. But when I'm there on a, on a more sort of consistent sort of day-by-day, minute-minute basis... I find that that dynamic kind of slips. Because sometimes during holidays, I spend more time with them because Laura wants to spend no time with them. No, she didn't really, she didn't really mean that. But she wants to spend a bit of time on her own uh, because obviously I'm just messing around at work, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, so I'll spend like a little bit of time with them or, or a lot of time with them. And what I'll find is actually just their rhetoric will kind of change slightly. And they'll be like, oh, dad, dad, could you help me with this? Dad, 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 daddy, dad, dad, dad. And... And you might be thinking to yourself, James, are you really using an example where your wife is sort of considered like the human nature and you're, you know, God? And I'm like, yes, I am. And that, that, is, that is the uh, example I'm using because I think it's really effective. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is like when I'm there, when they are close to me, when, they are, when I am there and they are familiar with the sense that I can provide their needs, mm. that I can give them what they need, that I can answer their questions, where they can seek me and the answer that they want can be found, then they become sort of a familiarity and a natural inclination. They start to lean in towards what they are familiar with. And that is exactly the same with us. Mm. That is exactly... In our lives, when we are, whatever we are leaning into is at that moment of uh, calamity is what we're going to lean into. Because when turmoil strikes, when, when strife hits us, we go back to what we know. We go back to that base instinct. We go back to that base instinct. And what does that base instinct point towards? A culture of peace or a culture of strife? What, how is our reaction in those moments? Because it is our reaction in those moments that is critical. And you cannot... I mean... Maybe some people are more disciplined than I am. But in those moments, there isn't a lot of choice. You react. You respond. It's instant. Now, you can correct it. That's just, that's just more to do. And you've already gone down a path. It says in Galatians 5 verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. It doesn't say, visit the Spirit occasionally. It says, walk in it. You've got to walk in it. It's got to be continual. It's got to be daily. It's got to be something in which our life is propped up by. It's through Jesus Christ. Because we don't grow it. That peace, that everlasting peace, that revelation peace, we don't grow it. It says it's through Jesus Christ. It's through him. He is the portal. He is the access to it. And that's not going to change. You don't receive it once and that sorts you out forever. It's a spirit thing. It's grown by the spirit. We cultivate it.
We develop a culture of it. It's in, it's, it becomes natural to be confident in his promise when you repeatedly hear his affections towards us and his plans to prosper you and I. That's, that's when it becomes instinctual, when it's familiar, when it becomes our first port of call. It's instinctual to disregard and lack confidence if it's unfamiliar to us. If it's something we pass by once or twice a week, then in those moments, in that strife, in that turmoil, that peace of God will be bypassed. Just get bypassed. Wave to it as we run past, as we embrace the worry and the anxiety and feel, why, why don't I have any peace? Where's my peace gone? Oh yeah, I drove straight past it. Our aspiration from peace becomes a culture of peace once our initial response is aligned with God's promises. Aligned. And then the response is immediate. Peace isn't about what happens around us. You can't expect, it says in the Bible there'll be troubles. Don't worry about the troubles of tomorrow. The troubles of today are enough. There are troubles. There are circumstances, heightened situations that will try to pluck your strings. Try to get a rise out of you. But a covenant with God, a covenant relationship with God, it's the state of our heart that the response doesn't, isn't a reaction to what's coming outside, but a response to what we've been growing on the inside. In Psalms 85 verse 8, it says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. I think that's, that's, a, that's a very profound sort of caution. It's like you can hear God and he will speak peace, but we are all capable of turning back to folly. We're all capable of allowing folly, allowing, allowing the anxieties, allowing the stresses, allowing the strife to govern. Entering into peace is attained by remaining in the covenant of Christ, of that relationship with Christ. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.